All right. Good morning. Welcome to our view. This is Sunday School Lesson for April 19th, 2020. We're going to be looking in the book of Romans in chapter 8, starting in verse 12. And if you're wondering about my setting, you should recognize it. This is John Moody's Sunday School Classroom. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to take turns and, and go through the different classrooms at here, here at church. I got to be here early anyway, so I decided, well, why not? So welcome all. Let's see. Yeah, I've been on for 40 seconds now. All right. Uh, if, you, if you're watching and you are not from uh, our church, I am uh, Pastor Associate Pastor Nelson from Tower View Baptist Church, Kansas City, Missouri, a church on the hill and um, near the uh, big colorful water tower that everybody in town calls the world's a fun water tower that they paint in their color scheme. If you want to find out more about our church, go to towerviewkc.com and or you can uh, go to our Facebook page, Tower View Baptist Church. So this morning, that is what we're doing. We are getting ready to do a uh, study of God's Word. Um, I pray that you're having a good morning. Um, it's kind of cloudy outside right now, but it's supposed to stay dry. It's supposed to warm up into this warm up today. Um, so we're going to have drive-in church at 1030. So I hope to see you all here in the parking lot through the windshields. Um, staying... Um, physically separated so we don't pass any viruses between each other, but been able to see each other and uh, at least wave and honk at each other. So thank you for coming in this morning. And um, um, to, to the service or to the, to the Sunday school class. Um, and I pray that all, all that will be well. Let's open in a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for this morning. I thank you that we can uh, study your word this morning for a few minutes. Help us to build us up. Help us to strengthen us. Help us to understand you a little bit better. And help us to make it change us a little bit. Or a lot. Because you are the mighty God. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. All right, got all the tech here, got all the tech going. In Romans chapter 8, so last week we looked at uh, Romans chapter 7, and we saw how awful sin was and how it controls our physical body, our flesh, as Paul says. And he constantly, in the book of Romans, um, compares our earthly bodies, our flesh, with our future spiritual selves, our, the spirit. And the Holy Spirit, and that whether we and he compares walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit, and we see that at the beginning of Romans chapter eight, so it, chapter seven ended in the, kind of almost in despair. He said, "What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death?" But then he answers his own question: "Thank be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord." And then he goes into chapter 8, therefore, and that's why he's therefore, therefore there is no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus because of the law of the spirit of life 
in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. We can't get saved because of the law. The law points out our sinfulness and our death, our spiritual death. And so as we go through Romans, and especially this next chapter, it's not so much all the pictures that he says, it's the contrasting pictures that he's showing. He talks about the law, and he talks about grace. He talks about the flesh, he talks about the spirit. He talks about slavery, he talks about freedom. So he goes back and forth between the two, between two, two concepts to show the contrasts. And so we're going to, he continues to do that as we get down into chap, in chapter 8, go down to verse 12. So down in verse 12, he says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but if you live because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. So there's live and die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we, so that we may also be glorified with him. So he has a lot of contrasts going back and forth as we go down through here. So brothers and sisters, we are, we are not obligated. We are not obligated. We're an obligation. It's like paying back a loan is an obligation. Making a promise, signing a contract is an obligation. You're not obligated to live to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We don't have to live the way the world lives. You're not obligated to do that. The world thinks you are. They try to convince you that you are, but you are not obligated to live that way. Um, because in verse, verse 13, because if you live according to the Spirit, you're going to die. I'm sorry. Because if, if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. So if you follow the, your sinful flesh, you will die. And obviously, we're all going to physically die. This body that we have, this piece of flesh and blood that we have, will die. But he's talking about eternal death, spiritual death, the difference between heaven and hell. He says, but if, so he gives two if statements, but if, but if, because if and but if, you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So flesh, die. Spirit, live. But if you live by the Spirit, you'll put to death something else. You'll put to death the deeds of the Spirit, which is what he said earlier in this chapter, if you read the first 11 verses of, of Romans Romans 8. For all who are, verse 14, for all those who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. But he just, he just didn't say both all the time. He just said sons. 
For all those who are led by God's Spirit are God's Son. So if you're led by God's Spirit, and that's the goal, that's your prayer request. God, help me to live by your Spirit. Let me your Spirit guide me, not my flesh, not my own mentality, not my own attitudes. Everything about us. We need to change our life, change our attitudes, change our emotions to follow God. Verse 15, for you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received a spirit of, of adoption. So there he, he's making another contrast, the difference between slavery and adoption. The Roman world did have adoptions. The Jewish world really didn't do adoptions, but the Roman world did. And so you get that, once again, you get that distinction, the, the two ends of the spectrum. If you're living according to the flesh, you're in slavery. If you live by God's Spirit, you are living by adoption. Think about an adopted child, if you had an adopted child in your house versus a slave in your house. The rights and privileges each has. And you are no longer the slave. You have rights and privileges because you are now adopted by the master of the house. The master being God the Father. And so you're going from slavery where you have no freedom, you have no goals, no, no, no aspirations, no hope in the future. The only hope of a slave has in his future is that he lives. But as an heir, as an adopted child, you have a hope that you too, well, you have an inheritance someday that you have a responsibility someday. And so look at those two options. Where are you at? Are you a slave with no freedom? Or do you have, an, or have you been adopted where you have a hope, you have a determined future? Slaves have no hope. In verse, in continuing in verse 15, Instead you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Technically, he just said, Father, Father. Okay, Abba is Aramaic, and it wasn't translated in our Bibles. The word Father was the Greek word for Father, and we translated it into English. So he said Father twice in two different languages. Why is that? Well, one, he had a bilingual crowd that he's, that he's writing to. Two, he wanted to make sure people understood the intimacy that he had. I know many people say, well, Abba is kind of like daddy. Yes and no. Um, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. But it's an intimate, when you're a slave, you don't call anybody father. You call them master. Okay, you call them sir. You don't call them father by any by any version of it. But as an adoption, you, you can call somebody father. And so that is the contrast. You're not a slave. You can call him father. You have that intimate relationship with him. And that should assure you, that should uplift you in times when you're not uplifted, in times when you're depressed and anxious. All these contrasts. You're not dying. You're living. You're not a slave. You've been adopted. Those times when you're unsure about yourself, you wonder if anybody cares. That's why Romans 8 is so powerful. 
it shows you where you were and 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 says here's where you're going satan when we fall down he wants to kick us in the gut throw mud in our face and tell us how awful we are and bleepity bleep and god here is saying here let me help you up and let me show you what you can become as he cleans us off your gut will still hurt because you fell or whatever happened that when you, you caused you to fall still happened that doesn't go away but jesus picks you up and says look what you can become and this is where you're going you have a hope for the future a steadfast assurance in what's coming forward because you can cry out and say father and in verse 16 but the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are god's children and so the holy spirit comes into you as a child of god and reminds you that you are a child of god sometimes our brain our emotions say no i don't feel that i don't feel that emotion but you're just read it here your intellect says it's true and with the holy spirit you can be assured that it's true you can't always trust our emotions god gave us our emotions and they have a place but sometimes in this fallen world they get messed up you know what sometimes your emotions are messed up because your body's messed up you ever see a happy chip a person with a migraine headache or with a 104 fever no your body's miserable you all your emotions are miserable That's why we we've invented the term hangry. You get cranky when you're when you get cranky when you're hungry. You get cranky when you haven't had enough sleep. Now your emotions are all out of whack. But that doesn't change the fact that you are a child of God and you can cry out to God even when you're hangry. Even when you have a migraine headache. Even when you're stuck at home and you can't see anybody, you can't talk to anybody that you want to. You can't go and give people hugs what not you are still a child of god and so you pray to the holy spirit to give you that assurance in verse 17 and if children also heirs heirs of god co-heirs with christ as you read through scripture you see many word pictures that describe our relationship to god and our relationship to jesus in the New Testament, Jesus says that he is the groom, and we as the church, all of us together as Christians, are the bride of Christ. Here, we are co-heirs with Jesus under God the Father. Because God, Jesus wasn't adopted, he is born of God. But we have been adopted, so that puts us up on the level with Jesus, it says here. We are co-heirs. Obviously, we're not equal to Jesus. We're not perfect. I get it. Paul understood that. But we have the same, we are going to the same place. We are going to heaven with Jesus. So in a sense, we are co-heirs. Because of what Jesus did, because what God did, he condemned sin through Jesus, we have a chance, our sins have been forgiven, and by grace, God has given us eternal life, which Jesus has. 
So in a sense, we are co-heirs. So once again, here's another word picture. And he says we're going from slavery to adoption. We are heirs under God the Father, which means that we are co-heirs with Jesus. How this builds you up and who you are. You're not a nobody. You are a somebody. God has said this is what's happening. And so you have a hope. You have a steadfast assurance in what's going to happen in the future. And so no matter how awful life is here, you have something to look forward to in the future. And that should bolster you. That should uplift you. That should cause you to celebrate and rejoice and to have joy. Because at the end of verse 17, it says, If indeed we suffer with him, so that we also may be glorified with him. Jesus suffered. He lived on this earth. He was hungry. He went without sleep. Don't know if he was ever sick. It's not recorded, but that doesn't mean he didn't get a cold or a flu. I don't know if he did or not. He had sadness. He saw people he loved die. The fact that nothing is mentioned about Joseph um, during Jesus' ministry leads us to believe that Joseph, probably his, his earthly father, probably died somewhere in his childhood while he was a teenager because we know he was still alive when Jesus was 12. So he faced tragedy. He suffered. And then we know he suffered on the cross for all of us. But in verse 18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not to be worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. So even all the earthly suffering, whether it's persecution suffering or just the physical suffering of living in this world, whatever it is, no matter how awful it is, what's that going to be to once we get to heaven? It's not worth comparing with the glory of heaven. It's all temporary. As the song says, when we've been there 10,000 years. And so even if you've had the most awful life and lived to be 100 What's that after 10,000 years in heaven? Verse 19. And we're not the only ones suffering. Verse 19. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for our for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Stop there. He's talking about creation. He's going all the way back to Genesis, which is what he did in Romans chapter 1 earlier in this book. He goes all the way back to Genesis. And he says, creation is suffering. And don't we see that in this world, that creation is suffering? There are species that have went extinct since the beginning of time. Some as a direct result of, of man's intervention, and, and sometimes just, just by nature. Things, nature changes. We just see this world in pain. 
watch the nature shows. You see, you know, you know, animals suffer and die because a predator, a pack of wolves attack. And, and what do they attack? They don't attack the, the, the big buck. No, they attack the, 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 the young animals that can't run as fast. But yet that buck may skewer a wolf and just give it a puncture wound. Then that wolf has to, suffers and dies from an infection from that wound because he doesn't get any veterinarian care. And he ends up dying in the wilderness. We see the pains of nature and natural disasters and volcanoes and floods and droughts. We, we see, you know, nature changing and we have, you know, uh, coral reefs being bleached out. And so we see all this pain and suffering. And why does this world have this pain and suffering? Because of our sin, because of the sin of Adam. God said he cursed this world. And it's waiting. It's groaning. But it's groaning is like labor pains, it says in verse 22. Labor pains have a purpose. You get a migraine headache, you don't know what the purpose is. Something's wrong in your body. Pain tells you that something's wrong in your body and you need to fix it. Labor pains tells you something's wrong too, but you know there's a, there's a hope with labor pains. You know there's a positive outcome because you know with those labor pains, there's a baby coming. There's new life coming. In a sense, there's a reward coming. And so these someday this world is going to be different again. It's not always going to be like this. The lion will lay down with the lamb. And a child shall lead them, it says in Isaiah. But not only does the world suffer, but we suffer. Verse 23, not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as first fruits, we also groan within ourselves. What do we have? We have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He didn't use the word holy there, but it's the Holy Spirit within ourselves as a first fruit. As a farmer, as an orchard grower, the first fruits, that first basket of fruit that you bring in, that was the offering to be, supposed to be to go to God. Our first fruit, we don't, most of us, we live in the city, we get paid. We get paid electronically. What's our first fruit? It's our paycheck. And so before you pay any other bills, you pay your tithe to God. That's a first fruit. But saying that we, the Holy Spirit is a first fruit and that we get it. But because of sin, we groan within ourselves because of the suffering of this world. Because of heat waves and polar vortexes, of droughts and floods. But we eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. The chance to go to heaven, whether it's by death or by the, by, by the rapture, whichever way it happens eagerly waiting and we should eagerly wait that's okay that's fine that we eagerly wait for that i have an old hymnal and i can't one of the things that kind of astonished me over time as i go through that hymnal is how many heaven songs there are when the roll is called up yonder i'll fly away someday glad morning 
There are all kinds of heaven songs in there. Why? Because people realize that this world is awful and they're waiting. They can't wait to get to heaven. And so we can rejoice in that. We eagerly wait for it. Verse 24. Now in this hope, verses 24 and 25, notice the word he repeats often. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is not but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait it wait for it with patience. And you see that word hope over and over in here. In modern English, in 21st century America, we have messed up that word hope. And I've talked about it before. Because our hope is a hope so. I hope the weather's nice. I hope my team wins. I hope I get an A. And that's a false hope. I mean, that's, that's not really hope. That's just wishful thinking. But the hope of the Bible is never talking about that. Whenever you see the word hope, it's never talking about that wishful thinking. It's that steadfast insurance. It's a hope. It's the hope that we have. We know that we have something better. That's living. You have hope. The opposite of hope is despair. So either you have hope for a better future or you have despair. So think of those contrasting terms when you see hope here. So you don't have to hope for a better future if you see it. I don't have to hope that I have transportation. I have a vehicle, I have the truck sitting right outside those windows. But we hope in verse 24, now that we hope that in this hope we are saved. We don't hope that we are saved as in a hope so. Because we have this hope, because we have this assurance, we know that we, we are saved. That's why we are saved. But we don't see everything about our salvation today. We don't see our glorified bodies. We don't see God face to face. When we cry out, Abba, Father, we are crawling out. It seems like we're crawling out to the air in the room we're in. But we have more than that. So someday we will have more than that. That's what our hope is. We have that steadfast assurance. In verse 25, now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. So we don't see it yet. We don't have it, but we're waiting for it. But we're waiting for it patiently. We're waiting for it because we know it's coming. It's not here yet. We don't know when it's getting here, but we know it's coming. We know we have a better day. And that's what Romans 8 is about. So you think, you know, Romans 1 through 7, it's about theology, really? You know, it's about the theology of sin and, 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 and the despair that man is in because he has no hope because he has no faith. And it talks about the faith that God gives us in, in, in grace. And we see that through an example of Abraham, and that by faith we are saved, that the law doesn't save us, but God's grace does. And he's talking about that. He comes up through, and he's talking about this grace and this faith that we have. 
and that we have an insurance that in chapter five, you know, that we have, you know, this hope that we have, you know, that we can rejoice in our afflictions because this affliction produces in, endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And because of this faith, we're not slaves. We have salvation. And he gets to, and he gets to, and he gets into despair because of sin. And he sees how, because of faith, that we have this ability and we have this desire to be live a righteous life and not to sin. But this earthly body is sinful, and it keeps sinning anyways. And, and there's a battle that's going on within us, and and he's struggling with it. But then he gets to chapter 8 and he rejoices because of there is no condemnation because of our sin. Because by faith, what Christ has done, we have a salvation. And he breaks out and rejoices. And that's what this is about. It says, because of this, you're not slaves, you are free. You are adopted. You can cry out to God the Father and cry out, Abba, Father, in the most intimate terms. And tell them, tell him everything that's on your heart. There is nothing you can't tell God the Father. You may not have had a good earthly father, and that may not be a good example from him. You, you may have had an earthly father that was that neglected you. You may have had an earthly father that abused you, or otherwise treated you badly. But God is better than that. He is the perfect earth. He is the perfect father. So don't go by your earthly father as an example of what God the Father is. He's the God the Father that you can go to with anything. And he talks about that, that there's suffering going on in this world. And Jesus understands that suffering. He suffered with us. So he understands it because he suffered with us. But there's a redemption coming. There's a hope coming. Not only for our bodies, but for this whole world that we live in. That climate change will be solved. And he goes on in chapter, I'm just going to kind of summarize the rest of the chapter. He goes on to the rest of chapter 8 and 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Because we don't know how to pray. But it says the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Because sometimes we just pray, God, help. I don't know what I need. But God knows what you need, but you still cry out to God. And the Holy Spirit intercedes within us, between us and God. And then we know in verse 28 that all things, for those of you who are saved and who have by faith accepted this message and have an eternal hope, that all things are going to work out for good. You may not see the result. The result may not come for decades. It may come tomorrow. You may see it later today. You may never see it. But know that God is working it out. How many things in your life already has worked out for good when it used to be bad? You used to be lonely, but now as God has given you a family. You may go, God, I don't have a family. I'm still lonely. But how many other things have God worked out for the good for you? And how many ways is God going to, in the future, work out your current situation that you don't like for good? 
what will the results be? I don't know. God does. And then in 31 to the end of the chapter, it's just a great triumph of who you are and that God wins. What are we to say of these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us. God is for us. He gave us his son for us. How amazing is that? Who can bring an accusation against God as like no one, including yourself? Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. Sometimes there's another person out there. It could have been a parent at some point in time. It could have been your spouse that just has degraded you and told you how awful you are. And sometimes it's ourselves who degrades us and tells us how awful we are. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? No one, including yourself. God is the one who justifies. If God's the one that justifies you, who is the one who condemns? If God is the one who's justified you, that's the highest court. If you've been declared innocent, not guilty by the Supreme Court of the United States of America, it doesn't matter what the circuit court says. It doesn't matter what the state court says. It doesn't matter what their verdicts was. Their verdicts don't matter anymore. The Supreme Court said, God is above the Supreme Court. He has justified you. And so he comes with this praise. And so in a sense, Romans 8 is like the high point of Romans. Everything before it is building up to this. That's why you read scripture in big chunks. You read one through seven to get to eight. And then you understand why eight is such a declaration of praise because of one through seven. So don't just read eight, but you need to read eight. If you're feeling down, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling anxious, pull out your Bible and read Romans chapter eight, the whole chapter. One through, what's the last verse? 30, 38, 39. One through 30, read the whole thing in one time. It's like, I can't concentrate on it. Read it out loud. Read it standing up. Read it pacing. Read it to the person in the mirror and tell them about the work that God has done in their life. Read it as an assurance, as a positive thing. And he's like, well, how did he get to this eight? How did he get here? He got here from one through seven. I'm going to have to close. My battery is dying. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, I just thank you and praise you, Lord. You're a mighty God. Help us to use this scripture to bolster us, to sanctify us, to live us a, 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 a joyful life. You are the mighty God. We just pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Once again, church is going to be at 1030, drive-in church. But even if you can't make it, Darren is going to have the uh, service. His, his sermon will be posted online later this morning. Um, uh, Pastor Craig has already posted the music that we're going to sing this morning. Um, Contact us at towerviewkc.com. Contact us through our phone number or Facebook page. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. God bless.